All these impermanent things, oh, how they fool me, dominate and rule me. They keep me waiting here forever. All these impermanent things, well, their beauty's never aging, but their worthlessness is enraging. And know we all stand alone when we're together. Why keep on hanging on to things that never stay? Things that just keep stringing us along from day to day. All these impermanent things, present yet elusive, passive yet abusive, tearing out the heart in utter silence. All these impermanent things, well, they point in all directions like second-hand reflections and they're leading us to subtle shades of violence. Why keep hanging on to things that never stay, things that just keep stringing us along from day to day? All these impermanent things, well, they're trying to convince me, baptize my soul and rinse me, purge my mind of honesty and fire. All these impermanent things, well, they all add up to zero. They make believe that they're my hero when they fill my mind with doubt and false desires. Why keep hanging on to things that never stay, things that just keep stringing us along? From day to day. The words of uh, Peter Himmelman, son in law of one Bob Dylan, Orthodox Jew, but constantly giving us New Testament illusions of spiritual truth. As a preacher who loves music, that's one of my all time favorite lyrics about the impermanent things. The impermanent things that try to convince me, try to baptize my soul and rinse me, purge my mind of honesty and fire, impermanent things that all add up to zero, but make believe that they're my hero and fill my mind with doubts and false desires. Why do we keep hanging on to things that don't stay? We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount of your visitor among us and um, <clears throat> like all series that we do there are some passages that you just think well I need to take that all as a one chapter scoop and then you get to a passage like this and you think well we could take six months in that and we may well come back to it because we don't have time to cover it all today but I think these are words that speak really powerfully into the world that we live in much more powerfully to the world that we live in than the world they were written in. For those who say the Bible's out of date, well, read this passage. And this is much more up to date than when it was written. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths come and destroy and break in and thieves steal. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where your treasure is. Your heart is. The disciples didn't know too much about treasure. Maybe Judas did, but the rest weren't too well off in the financial thing. But us, us, is this not the generation that struggles most in the history of the world with the possibility of impermanent things? Are there not impermanent things everywhere? Phones that you bought yesterday and by Monday, 
Apple have made it impermanent, and we need another one. Just one example of the world that we kind of live in, and the world that we seem to be chasing after. What has happened in Matthew chapter 6 here? And if you're following it and remembering, we started this chapter with John Stott telling us that the key verse in the whole thing was do not be like them. And the whole first half of the chapter was not being like the religious who take applause for fasting and praying and doing all those things that giving that they do. We come to the end of the chapter that we've just read and we find that Jesus is saying, do not be like the pagans because they worry after all these impermanent things. Whatever's happening here, it's about not being like religious and irreligious. Somewhere between the darkness, the man made darkness and the man made light, the sun of freedom shines and this is a passage that can give us an incredible amount of freedom from the directionless of chasing impermanent things to the worry about the impermanent things that we might not have. Weigh it up, Jesus says. Invest your life in things that are impermanent or things that last forever. Seems a bit like a no-brainer in that one. Your eyes. Your heart. Because the eye is the lamp of the body. Matthew again, trying to link Jesus with the Old Testament, Psalms and various other things. Whatever we're looking after, whatever our heart desires and our eyes are seeking after, it can be light coming in or darkness coming in. Can't serve two things. God and impermanent things and if we do then we will worry a lot I've discovered in my life that I've been in abject poverty where people actually haven't been as anxious as I think they should be and I live off the Malone Road I don't want to knock the Malone Road but there's a t-shirt, there's a new company making Northern Iron t-shirts you should get one, they say scundered on them or thran, get a t-shirt with thran on it or scundered or your ma's your da or um, I'm getting one that's got a big, like a Nike sign and it says gutties I think that's great but there's a couple, there's one that says the Lisburn Road giving you three new cafes every week since 2002 And then there's one, and you've got to be careful. This is the T-shirt. I'm just quoting it. The Malone Road. Making you feel crap since 1845. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I've been with people who have had more money than sense and have been far more worried than those that have been with in abject poverty. Jesus is giving us great truths here. That would set us free. I want to think today about something out of this. I want to think about who we are. What makes us who we are. And I guess over the last number of years. Maybe a couple of centuries. Evangelical Christians particularly. Maybe think that we are what we think. Now I'm for thinking. Because there's some thought has gone into this sermon. 
But I wonder if actually we've got it completely wrong. We're not what we think. The Bible doesn't even tell us we're what we think. We are what we love. I always said in chaplaincy, I dangle myself over the pit of heresy for a wee while. Give it that comic moment and then we move on. I don't know whether you're aware of the Irish word gruff. I've mentioned it before. Father Gary Toman used to talk to me about gruff. Uh, and he, I, 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 he must have assumed I had some Irish language being a Presbyterian. But it's a word for love, for a, a gut, cardia love. I have a gruff for Manchester City. I'm very excited today that there might be a City United Cup final. And I'm really terrified today that there might be a City United Cup final. Because my gruff, that which I'm passionate about, doesn't allow me to give it up. Just give football up and life would be so much easier. My wife rightfully says she is right. But my gruff, something that is within me, deep down in my soul, doesn't allow me to pull away from it. It's who I am. Grow. Augustine has said, we are what we love. So it's no new idea. But I want to unpack for a moment or two some of the thoughts of a professor of philosophy at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, James K.A. Smith. James K.A. Smith is known as Jamie. Uh, you need Jamie Smith, don't sell books to philosophers or theologians if you're called Jamie. So you have to give it the full thing. I would be, if I had any intelligence, Robert Stevenson Stockman. Maybe the second or something, because that would be more intelligent. Jamie has written a couple of books, one of which I did a whole evening on, and one of which, and both of which I will do in a, a series uh, after Easter, uh, or base a lot of what I say in a series after Easter. The first is called Desiring the Kingdom. You can see desire, grow, he doesn't use that word, who we love, what we love. And his new book just out is Imagining the Kingdom, and it's all about liturgy and the power of liturgy because he believes that we are what we love and we love things that liturgically hold our hearts. The two things in the American society that he suggests are the things that hold their hearts are the shopping mall and the sports stadium. And both have a liturgy, a way of doing things that grabs our desire. He does a great three or four pages of going to the shopping mall as a religious experience. And then he goes to the sports stadium and he talks about how putting your hand over your American heart and singing that anthem gives you a grow. My examples, flags. A new word that's been conjured in these last number of days of flag protests in Northern Ireland. Let me ask a question, and let me ask this sensitively to a part of our community whose cry we should hear and that we need to do something about and not dismiss in any frivolous way. But let me ask a question about what is Protestantism in parts of our country at this moment in time? <clears throat> Those 
who are flying the flags, who are adamant about it, who are angry that two of their leaders can't get bail. What is the Protestantism that they are standing for and fighting for and shouting no surrender for? One of our church leaders was at a meeting with some of the leaders of the flag protest. And when the moderator finished by saying, can I pray for you? Uh, They said, yes, because they're good Protestants. And then he said, and let me finish with the benediction. And he did the benediction. One of them came up to my friend, who's one of our church leaders, and said, that last bit, the benediction bit, that Catholic. He said, no, 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 that's how we end our church services in Protestant churches. The benediction. They thought it was Catholic. Now let me ask you, if you ask that man today, is he a Protestant? Yes, I'm a Protestant. I'll die for my Protestantism. Is he what he thinks? Or is he what he loves? Has he thought through the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it is to be a Protestant in Reformed tradition? Or is there a bra somewhere in his life? Where did he get that? Where did he get that? Why did the flag become a symbol that was so cardiac for him, so ingrained in his passions? Was it because he sat in lecture theatres and was told the history of Protestantism historically, socially, culturally, and theologically? Or was it as a two-year-old being given ranger slippers for Christmas, going to watch Linfield, marching on the 12th? What shaped him? What made him who he is? And why do we think we would be any different in how we're shaped? Do we think we can be shaped by sermons? No. We're shaped by those things that we do. Why do I love sport? Because since I can ever remember, my mother was taking me to hockey matches, my dad was taking me to rugby matches, I was going to play table tennis, I was out with the guys with a football... It was the habitual way that I was liturgized. So why do we think that we can become followers of Jesus just by thinking differently? What about the Bible? When Jamie, I read these things by Jamie, even though he's from Calvin College. Balamina man, don't trust anybody. But the scriptures... Take me out of Balamina, but you can't take the Balamina out of me. I thought, Jamie, that's a great idea, but is it in the Bible? Deuteronomy, the Shema that the Jews grew up with, what is it? Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our actions in a society, missionally and pastorally, where is it? It's Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said, what would they be? If you 
love me, you will obey my commands. Not think right about me. Much as we need to think, please, in Northern Ireland, you have to say the things that you don't say as well as the things you do say. We're trying to think here, but what we're trying to say is, is there's something else deeper that we've maybe neglected? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What makes us? Our desires. What we are ambitious about. What we seek after. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be added. Everybody is religious. Because every human being needs to worship. Might not worship God. But they worship. They value something. They live for something. Something in their grow pushes them on to what it is that they want to be around and be part of and evangelize for. Richard Dawkins is madly religious. He's a worshiping human being. He's just not Presbyterian. Jamie Smith's very convincing in his argument. And I do believe that it means that we have to think about certain things. The control of our minds and the right creeds and doctrines and ideas might not be sufficient to have the light of our eyes and our hearts. That might be where we might be blamed for some of our hypocrisy. Because you can think really well theologically. And act really badly biblically. And actually for a period of years, centuries maybe, you could have got away with that. Because in the objectivity of the world, as long as you could quote the right verses, as long as you could think the right thoughts. But today our young people aren't actually as fussed about what we think. They want to know what we love. They want to know what we're passionate about. And they will not be fooled. We need liturgy. We need passionate things that we do as followers of Jesus that will capture the social imaginings and the grow of our young people. And maybe we even get it wrong and they're away today, so maybe I can say it more. Maybe they will actually chase the things that get in the way of church. I know it's difficult to be faithful in church attendance in a 21st century. But I wonder when they grew up and when they're 25 or 30 and they're asking, what should I give my life's passion to? And Sunday morning comes, will they say, well, actually, we weren't that fussed about it when I was young. If there was something else to do, we did the other thing. Church wasn't something that we thought religiously that you had to go to. We were kind of liberal and free in that way. So actually, what were the things that were in front of that? They're probably things that could be more... By that time, actually, they will be more passionate about. Because I don't think when I look back on bringing up two girls that they're going to think about the things I said to them at the dinner table. 
They're going to be the things they saw me passionate about and the habits that I threw away that I didn't even know was doing stuff, all the bad stuff as well as the good. We need to bring our children up in that kind of way with the habits that form them being those that are built around the liturgy. This is why I have a desire to make the offering more than just we give something into a plate and it comes to the front. It's why you'll hear me trying to say give give all of ourselves. This is a liturgical act. It's why at the end I want the benediction to be more than a few words that are kind of the end of the film. Because it's a blessing that we give each other before we go out and it has to have a visceral, guttural, cardia grow in what it's about. It's why this is not tagged on at the end of a, a month but becomes the central thing to what we're doing because this is what we do in our football stadium. In our shopping mall, we need to have the creativity of our liturgy that is vital in its actual doing. Not throw away, oh, here's a hymn sandwich. It's not a hymn sandwich. It's worship that's from the heart. It's prayers about the world because we're passionate about changing Bangladesh and Syria this morning. It's about giving of all of our lives, not just an envelope into a plate if we haven't given a direct debit. It's about thinking for a moment or two about these scriptural things that we've read as the word of God, which is the inspired truth of God that fires our lives. It's why I'm Presbyterian and not one of these new churches that just sings for 40 minutes and then has a talk for 20 minutes and leaves. How can you have that kind of liturgy and change the social imaginings of people? Our forefathers have given us a liturgy that should be as vital as putting your hand over your heart when you're singing national anthems or give that feeling that you get when you bought the right label on a Saturday and you get the bag and you come out of your worship in Castle Court. We need to make our worship that which forms our children, our young people and ourselves into people that, yes, we think right. Of course we want to think right. But deeper than the thinking, because deeper than the thinking it has to be, we have treasure. We are seeking a kingdom. We are after things that last forever. And it's not something that we say, yes, I'm after things that last forever. It's I am after things that last forever. And I'm going to give every part of my gut, every part of my life to that. Yesterday was the first day. This tells us it's not been a bad winter, actually. Four months I've been out doing a wee bit of running from 20 yards to 40 yards to get into near 100 yards. And yesterday was the first day in the wind and the rain. And it was tough. And after a mile and a half, I was done. And my mind was telling me, you've done a mile and a half in the wind and the rain. That's not bad. Come on, you have a funeral to take later on. Get home and get it sorted out. And something within me that was part of what I grew up with said, no, every last fiber of you is going to run the next half mile. And the mile after that, and the mile after that, and you've run 4.2 miles, so you need to run further than that. The dog was knackered. (laughs) But I didn't think about running it. Something in the middle of my center of who I am had to finish further than the last time. If my faith has not got that, 
I don't think it matters what I think. Where your treasure is. What your guts wants to get to. How you want to change the way the world is. It's what Jesus is talking about. In the second half of Matthew chapter 6. There are impermanent things here. That even with your mind thinking doctrinally right. Might sneak in and baptize your soul. With the wrong directions. The wrong passions. And you will be two-timing God. Because you'll be serving God in your thinking. But money or houses. Or running four miles or music, or whatever it is that might... Now, none of those things are wrong. As long as they're used in the seeking of the kingdom. As long as they're redeemed in what we're going to do around this table. So what are we this morning as we gather around this table? What will happen as we take this bread and wine? Nice thoughts, theologically and biblically. Or is this bread and wine going to feed our grow so that where our treasure is, is the kingdom of God and we'll be seeking that first and his righteousness, not in nice thinking, but in every fiber in the center of our lives. May it be so for me and may it be so for you. Let's sing together as we come around this table. If you're in the gallery and you want to join us, please free to do, feel free to do so during this song. There is a Redeemer who can redeem all the impermanent things and make our lives seek the right things, investing in forever and the eternal.